Support for Small Joys comes from the Columbus Foundation, celebrating the creativity that inspires and strengthens the Central Ohio community every day. More at columbusfoundation.org. From WSU Public Media, this is Small Joys. I'm Hanif Abdurraqib. For this episode, my guest is Cameron Granger. Cam is a local artist and activist and community builder who I am just such a big fan of as a person, as a maker, as someone who is always funnier than I am on the internet. Um, And I think as someone who has a really wide vision for the way his work can live in the world and move people. He works primarily in video, but has expanded recently to print, to zine making, which I think is one of my favorite forms of art. He was raised outside of Cleveland, but moved to central Ohio to attend the Columbus College of Art and Design. And I first became aware of his work maybe five years ago or so when I saw some videos of him kind of circulating within the friend groups I was rolling with and uh, getting to know him over the past five to six years has been a real delight. Cam and I began our conversation by discussing why he moved back to Columbus after pursuing artistic opportunities in other parts of the country. So the first thing I kind of want to talk about, because I guess I've never really talked to you about this, and this is something I get a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, So I left Columbus and moved back, though I think under different circumstances than you did. And everyone always asks, like, well, why would you come back? And for me, it was easy because I was like, well, I, you know, I lived in Connecticut and I hated it. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. coming home made sense. But you left and came back. And I think um, I was a little more interested in that journey of what brought you yeah. back here because it felt like you could have gone anywhere. What brought you back here? And, and, and you know, for, for context, tell everyone, you know, where you went and, and why you left and all that. I left I left Columbus uh, in 2019, uh, so I guess not that long ago, but it feels like ages. I left to for New York, and um, I went there for residency, but I also like had the intentions of, okay, well, I've lived in Ohio all my life. I'm from Cleveland, um, again, for folks don't, that don't know, but I moved to Columbus about like almost 10 years ago now for school and just stayed because I loved it. And I had the intention of like, okay, well, I've been here my whole life, so let me just see what else is out there. Let me try something different. I've moved around a lot, like for short periods of time for art residencies. And those, it's like, I've always enjoyed the experience, but I was like, okay, let me like put down roots somewhere else for a while. And I was in, I was in the city for about a year. And I always went, I had a hard deadline on like the living situation that I was at. I That was going to wrap in March and then I was supposed to go to Oakland for another thing. And then after Oakland, I was supposed to be there for like three months. And then I'm like, okay, well, I'll go, maybe I'll go to Chicago after that and stay there. Um, but, you know, I this is the first year, 2020 was the first year I bought a planner. I was like, okay, I have these things going on. Like I had the plan, but obviously that was all before the Rona hit. Um, it was like end of March. The thing in Oakland was supposed to start in April. They weren't hitting me back up. And I was like, hey guys, stuff's looking pretty spooky. Are we still doing this? What's going on? And it was like straight up radio silence. So I was like, okay, well, I, I ended up getting really lucky and finding a sublet. For a while, I was couch shopping and then I found a sublet. And I was just in New York with no actual like 
plan. I was just collecting unemployment, and I'm like, okay, well, I don't know what I'm doing in my life. So I just like sat and read and learned how to cook, like to the point where it was like something I actually enjoyed eating, not just like something to consume, yeah. um, which felt really good. And then it just got to a point where my sublet ended in September, and I had an option of where I could keep floating around somewhere where. Not to say that I didn't have community in New York because I did, but it wasn't like the communities here that I had in Columbus. Um, and my, I was very far from my family in a time where my family, I feel like my family really needed me to be close. And it just made the most sense like to go, a pl- go to a place that I know, a place that I love, and where I could also be comfortable, you know? And when I say comfortable, I don't mean comfortable. Like, I mean, like, obviously, like, yeah, it's like, the cost of living is a lot easier in Columbus, but also just, like, be a full human and not feel like I have to be in survival mode all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, which is, like, so important, especially, like, last summer was, you know, like, last summer was so relentless in so many different ways, um, and I just wanted to be with my people, even though, we were, like, we had to be isolated, but at least knowing I'm in proximity of my people made me feel a million times better, so... I wanted to come back and I felt like there were things that I could do here, ways that I could help out and I had tools like that I could access here that would make that like helping out easier, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm wondering if you feel like you've, um, do you feel like you've yet recovered from the relentlessness of, of last summer? Or, and I say this understanding that that relentlessness is kind of, um, it is still bearing down on us mm-hmm. in a great many ways. Mm-hmm. But do you, I was talking to someone about this recently about the idea of the new normal being this kind of emotional exhaustion that mm-hmm. um, the past 18 months has introduced to us. Mm-hmm. But ha, do, you, do you feel like you have at all found a mode of recovery mm-hmm. or are you kind of just has has there been a has anxiety newly woven itself into your constitution and you're just looking for and waiting for the next thing that's that's real uh you know i think it's the latter um i think i've had to find ways to to navigate it i have like my you know we have like our scars or whatever and i've just kind of have figured out how to like deal with that you know it's not necessarily a recovery it's like okay I have this pain so how do I work around or not work around it but take it into myself or whatever um and I think a big part of that was like finding a therapist uh like man um yeah this is the second episode where we've talked about therapy yeah uh which is great news shout out to therapists everywhere this podcast is really going to do a do a lot for them Man, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't stress enough how beneficial that's been. Like, I, another thing that happened when I was away was that I was also away from like all my old coping mechanisms that I found here. Um, like, I couldn't, I wasn't, I couldn't be around my friend, my normal friend group. I couldn't go to my normal places. Like, I, and especially when isolation, when we had to be isolated, I was just in my house with my anxiety. And I think I was able to ignore it maybe before. But it got to a point where I was, like, being physically ill from it. Um, yeah. So I was like, okay, I got to do something about this. Um, so, yeah, and one of the things my therapist told me was, like, yeah, like, there's an, you, you're not going to be able to cure this, but you can learn how to live with it. And 
I'm like, okay, well, teach me that. How do I do it? So, yeah, because I think I mean, as someone who is you know notoriously diagnosed as many different kinds of anxious, mm. it's so wild that you know my early experiences with therapy revolved around having to really learn that it can't be cured. Yeah. So you're, the therapist used to always be like, well, we can't, you know, we're not able to cure this. And I would be like, sure, sure, sure. I'll come back next week and we'll find it. You know, like mm -hmm. we'll figure out a cure next week. You keep saying this, but mm -hmm. like, I'm pretty sure that we can cure this. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's humbling to realize that uh, our, our therapists are, are actually correct. Uh, <laughs> you know? Yeah, they they actually, unfortunately, they know better than we do. Yeah, unfortunately, right, 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 right. And sometimes I'm sitting there with her. I'm like, okay, well, so what do you think? And she's like, well, what do you think? And I'm like, well, I don't want to. I don't care what I think. What do you think? Like, tell me, tell me how to fix it. Tell me how to solve the problem. And I don't know. To to think of ourselves as as needing to be fixed eternally means mm. that I think that we run towards these solution-based things and kind of demand, mm. like hold out our hands and say, okay, give me the answer. Mm -hmm. Instead of, I think what I've come to learn, which is that there's no like one fix and life is just a series of several small adjustments that maybe like feel like we're inching closer to what some would define as a, as fixing. Mm. Um, mm. But really we're just like moving along a, a long line of adjustments. Um, that's real. Yeah. Can I ask a question that's a bit more uplifting than uh, yeah. therapy? I <laughs> actually want to. I want to talk about friendship. You've got a tight knit group of friends who are also people I admire and respect and consider friends of my own. But uh, all of them are creative as you are, and I really admire this kind of community you've built of of people. And I was wondering if, if you could talk about that ecosystem a bit and how it kind of propels you. That's a great question. A lot of my models for like healthy relationships came from watching how my mom kind of moved through the world. And um, she had a group of very like close girlfriends that she would be with. And um, they also all had, all those girlfriends had sons. And um, I think our moms kind of gave us models for loving very fully. And we also didn't really have like most of us didn't grow up with like consistent male figures around I guess at least for the, like those most formative years you know um and again like we had our moms to look at the models and that's I think where we learned to very to love like physically fully and like not be afraid to say I love you and hold each other stuff like that we know how easy like how quickly one of us can be snatched from this world so we want to love each other like as much as we can you know at least that's how I think about it um and I don't want to hold like anything back from my love with these guys um well one my question is how have you combated the kind of the nature of the pandemic mm. keeping folks apart mm. uh with that kind of love I mean I, I think mm. about this because I have friends who I love deeply who are not distant, who like live here, yeah. who I just haven't, you know, now I'm seeing them more often, but yeah. I went months without physically seeing them. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, that's real. Um, I mean, 
the group chat is a huge that's been a huge thing um the group chat is a lifeline um and also like i'm me personally like i i'm also a person that i've for the past like three or so years i haven't really been here much so a lot of my relationship not just maintaining but building has been like through these long distance ways um so i think part of that might be helpful but i don't know man there's there hasn't been a day in recent memory that I haven't talked to these people um, in some shape or form, um, and most of that looks like the chat. At the end of the day, even if we're not going to see each other for like six or seven months, a year, whatever, we're still going to have each other's back, you know? Is there a way that you see or feel yourselves pushing each other creatively? Yes. Uh, yes. That, I think, is also what I kind of wanted to get at the heart of, because I, yep. I, I think all of you are, you know, be it Joey or Dom, Joey H, local rapper, mm-hmm. Dom Deshaun, local rapper. I forgot that uh, we, I have to, to say these things for folks who aren't listening. Hakeem Callwood, who's a local visual artist and, <laughs> and a very good dog sitter. Um, <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> yeah, Hakeem often, uh, in the rare time, I mean, now I so rarely go out of town, uh, but if I do, Hakeem watches my dog Wendy, and Wendy loves him. Mm. Wendy loves him so much, mm. and she's um, like, ang- she, she's a pretty, pretty anxious, anxious dog. right? Yeah. yeah, she doesn't come to loving people very easily, but she mm. really, really loves Hakeem. Mm. Um, but all of you kind of have these creative impulses, um, and I, I, I'm wondering about the kind of mutual nature of pushing each other creatively to do your work. Yeah, no, that's. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, one thing I get asked a lot is like, "Do you have creators? Creators block? Do you get creators block?" And like, obviously, yeah, we all do. I always say one thing that pulls me out of that is seeing my homies when they're making cool stuff. Um, you know, when your friends making cool stuff, you want to make cool stuff too. And it's not necessarily that you want to like get one over on them, but you don't want to be you want to you don't want to be left in the dust. You, don't you know, be left behind. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, okay, let's catch up. And then you know, there's natural kind of like collaborations that happen and even outside of like Joey Dom, Hakeem, Toese group, uh, my very good homie Tyler Davis, um, another artist, visual artist here in the city who um, we really like got each other through CCAD. Um, Tyler was a couple years behind me. Um, But one thing is like we, I feel like we both taught each other like a lot of different techniques and tools of just how to not just make our art, but also how to how to navigate this whole like sometimes very oppressive art space. You know, like it's sometimes these systems of power, even in the art world, like aren't built built for us. And it's you gotta really have that strong community at your back to get you through. Yeah, uh-huh. sometimes especially in the art world. Especially in the art world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. There's no good way for me to ask this that does not sound <laughs> ridiculous. But I want to talk about memes because mm-hmm. I think you are someone who it seems uh, is an exquisite locator of memes and then someone who repurposes them extremely well. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes I'm like, how does anyone find, <laughs> for those who are listening and you don't follow Cam on Instagram or anywhere else, I, I feel like Cam always has... Uh, great memes that are pulled from what seems like the depths of the internet. Um, and I'm, I'm so interested in how you locate these things. 
Oh man, that that's like one of the nicest things anyone's ever said about me. So thank you, uh, thank you, Hanif, for that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I. So the the question is like, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess what what brings you, what brings you. Mm. How do you find the ones you find? Because it seems so embedded deep in the internet. But also, like, what yeah. brings you to that search? But what it feels yeah. like you are finding, in the way that I think I use music to communicate mm. the things I otherwise cannot communicate through this through the messiness of the world. Mm. It seems like you are so good at using memes to mm. do that. Mm. And I'm always like, how, how? For, I guess, for like those formative years, it was hard to necessarily find real like images that looked like me and my friends and my family in the way that like I saw us. And one of the things that I think is so exciting about memes is that we've really, um, when I say we, I mean like the black people of the internet, we've like taken these images in a, to kind of like, they can be very insignificant images and we kind of can take them out of their typical subject matter or their intended subject matter and repurpose them to fit our own subjectivity. And I think that's really beautiful. Like when I post a picture of like, let's just say the the image of the woman that was working at Popeyes, like yeah, and yeah. someone posts that and it'd be like mood, you know? Like you instantly know like what it's being, what they're talking about, what that mood is. And people do like these mood boards now, these monthly mood boards. Um, oh, yeah. That's I love, my favorite thing. Yeah, right, right, right. It's such a, I think it's a really beautiful way of marking time. And I also think, like, we, black folks historically, historically, we haven't had much control over images of us, the way that we're being looked at in, like, math, when it comes to, like, mainstream mass media. And I think it's a very powerful thing to see folks kind of taking that agency for themselves when they're produced, when these memes are being churned out. So yeah, I guess that's why I like them so much. So a thing that interests me about so much of your work is that it does, there's a richness to its pursuit of representation. Mm -hmm. It doesn't treat representation as kind of like a flimsy box to check. It's one thing to say like, I love my people, but it's another, I think, to say, well, I'm doing this and focusing on the people I love, like really, yeah. like my, you focus on your family so much and your friends. And uh, I'm wondering what answers you found, if any, uh, about the somewhat tricky and treacherous nature of the, this broad pursuit of representation mm. as it is served through your work, which, which mm. lends us so richly through the people you love. Mm. I am trying to, I want to look at my people and Again, like you said, look at the people I love and in that looking, like, show exactly why I love these people so much and preserve their faces, their every crease on their face. Like, really, like, show these people the way that I see them as a full, living, loving humans. Because, again, like, I, I don't take my position as someone that makes images lightly. You know, the fact that we can make movies on our phones now, that's such, that's an incredible amount of agency that we have now that we haven't had historically. Uh, uh, there's a Toni Morrison quote that came up in my reading recently that I think really like got at what I've been trying to fig like trying to do or I guess tackle with the work this whole time. 
and um, it's from it's from home. I love a Toni Morrison quote. I can't wait to hear which one it is. I know it's. I think it's a really beautiful quote. So she says how she's consistently trying to carve away at the layers of deceit and malevolence of race language so that other forms of perception were not only um, possible but inevitable. Yes. And I, that's like, that's it right there, right? Like, yep. that's it. That's the thing that I'm trying to do, you know? I took this road trip. The New York Times Magazine sent me on a road trip um, with the photographer, Andre Wagner. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think the way I thought about images and image creation through black photographers mm -hmm. shifted after that. I mean, Andre mm -hmm. is immensely gifted. Andre told me this thing where he's like, well, black folks are almost always ready to pose for a photo. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They're almost, they're like, doesn't take a lot. So, you know, and so for him, it's just like, well, all I gotta do is like point my camera and the photo kind of materializes in front of me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true, but I also think he was maybe selling himself short because I think there's something about the affection with which he, with which you, with which so many people I love, whose work I love and whose, whose person I love, uh, mm. approach the work that makes people amenable to that kind of comfort. You know, the one thing is in your work that really draws me to it is that uh, people seem just so comfortable in your care. Mm. And I'm wondering if that's something you're aware of. I remember talking to Andre and he was something he was just so immensely unaware of. He was just kind of like, oh, well, you know, I don't know, I just have a camera. Um, <laughs> but there is a, a level of comfort that happens, and I'm wondering if you're aware of when that happens or how you're getting people to that point, or you're just like, I just show up with my tools and then everything else happens. Um, you know, I specifically use, like, a camera that isn't, like, big for me. Like, speaking from experience, when someone shows up with, like, a lot of stuff, I get really psyched out and really intimidated. So I try and, like, just be as light as possible. And then, I mean, I'm also, you know, it, most of the people that I work with are people that, if they're not my friends or family, they're someone that I already have some kind of relationship with. So, I mean, I think that adds a lot to it. But in the occasions where I haven't, like, had as much, um, I guess, agency in the shoot, um, in the parameters of it, I just try and be a nice person. I just try and be, <laughs> an, I just try and be a nice guy. Um yeah, I I just don't want to psych anyone out and make them feel uncomfortable because, like, I don't know, man, having your image taken um, and making, like, art about someone, there's so many ways that that can turn so violent so fast. Oh, yeah. And, and I try and treat it re with as much respect as possible. Tell me some things you're working on now. I know we got to wrap mm. up, but, I, I, I mean, I feel like you are – um always busy and i feel like the scope of your work has evolved so much since you've mm -hmm. moved back i mean it was already pretty immersive but it feels like it's evolved even further and so i'm i'm eager to hear what what you're working on or, or what is exciting you at the moment to be honest like i've been in a real like kind of uh quiet mode just doing a lot of reflection and study um which has been exciting I'm reading a lot of just like history because that's something that I haven't been like very up on, you know? So I've been trying to really immerse myself in that aspect. We are trying, we're trying to put together a community fridge situation, um, me and some homies. Other than that, well, I just put out a short film called The Line. I've just been trying to get that out to folks. It's about um, the Near East Side. It's about 
Columbus and the history of that neighborhood, and it's something I'm really proud of. I think it's, like, the thing that I've made that I'm most excited about, like, ever. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's really it, man. I'm just, like, honestly, I'm excited for it to be warm weather and that I can sit outside and feel the sun on my face again. And I got to hug my mom and my granddad two days ago, and it felt really good because I haven't seen them in, like, two years. So I love that. Cameron Granger, thank you for spending time with me. Thank you, Hanif. Of course. At the end of every episode, I take some time to share one of my small joys. And weirdly, I say this understanding that I live in Columbus and I spend a lot of time floating through Columbus, but I rediscovered the Park of Roses recently, which I'm, you know, I'm not normally on that side of town or not frequently enough. And I, the Park of Roses is interesting because you drive by the library, rec center, Park of Roses sign combo. And at least for me, because I don't live in Clintonville, I never really think I should pop in there because you got to drive all the way to the back and wind around. But, and, and I'm someone who spends a lot of time at parks as the weather has warmed up. I've been, you know, I'm normally a Schiller guy, but I live near Franklin Park and sometimes I walk down there, as I think I talked about on another episode of Small Joys. But I went to the Park of Roses about three weeks ago and just sat in that little gazebo that's kind of near the front. And that is perhaps a perfect spot for those who know Park of Roses well. I'm not breaking any news, but for those who don't, there's that little gazebo maybe to the right past the main kind of event building. Uh, And it's far enough kind of tucked away where you're not super noticeable, uh, but you're not fully invisible either. And you can just watch people kind of move throughout the park and you can kind of get a glimpse and listen to the mini cicadas as they begin to kick up their concert. And uh, the Park of Roses, you know, it's one of those places where it really has its moment. You know, its moment is perhaps in these early midsummer summer hours. And uh, I've really enjoyed going back there and getting a little bit of pleasure in my slow silences. I don't get a lot of time to myself and uh in the summer months i think parks are where i rejuvenate and the park of roses afforded me that and so maybe i'll see you there i hope to see you there i neglected a return to it for so so long and i'm glad that i'm rectifying that now Small Joys is a production of WOSU Public Media. The show is produced and edited by Michael DeBonis. Sound engineering by Eric French. Nick Hauser is the chief content director of digital media. Special thanks to Leticia Wiggins for editorial support. Thank you for listening. And thanks to everyone who's been supporting us on Twitter and Instagram. Please continue to share episodes and to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. We'll be back next week with more Small Joys.